0: Welcome back to realworld.com. This is The Will Be Movies, a podcast dedicated to identifying our uh, 25 favourite movies from a given decade. This is Volume 1, 2000 to 2009. Who is making the list? It's myself, Mel Waters, and my co-host as ever, Ben Phillips. Ben, how
1: are you today? I'm good. I didn't get up until 11, and then kind of panicked that I had an hour to watch the movie, or finish the movie. I'd, I'd done an hour and a half last night, and then had to run off to a party.
0: Yeah, I, I started watching the movie movie at a ridiculously unwise time. It was I like, was still I, at
1: the party when you said that you were watching it. It I was, was midnight
0: like, and I was like, I'm going to throw on ten minutes just to see what I think of it, and then I watched an hour and a half of it or more. It's I,
1: really gripping. When it has its claws in you, you're just kind of like, I, it doesn't feel two hours and forty minutes long.
0: Well, we should say, this is There Will Be Blood, the, podca- the podcast The is named after this movie, There Will the, Be Blood. The movies. titular
1: episode. Yes.
0: It was a bold choice to allow that, because <laughs> I hadn't even seen There Will Be Blood. This was the movie I was probably most dreading watching because I assumed this would just be artsy wank that's just like the first 15 minutes is what I thought the whole film was going to be but I really really like it so there you go. Now there's only one more movie for me to be dreading, which is our penultimate one.
1: I am very intrigued what you think of that one. So I'm two. For, I'm two for two on movies you no three for three on movies you haven't seen that you've actually really enjoyed.
0: Yeah, I guess Memento, this and adaptation. Adaptation. Yeah, you're three for three. You're three for three. So this is there will be blood. It was chosen by you, of course, because I haven't seen it. It's good that I like it though. Isn't
1: <laughs> it? It's good that you like possibly the most regarded movie of the twentieth century. Twenty first century
0: yeah i mean i'm normally on the wrong side of a, of a high art critical debate but you know i'm on board this is proof i'm not always a contrarian
1: i want to check this it's number two for most acclaimed kind of like english language movie of the decade behind marhol drive <laughs> <laughs> you're the one watching twin peaks return at the moment
0: <laughs> i watched one episode but yeah i am look we'll do a david lynch podcast at some
1: point <laughs> is this before jack davenport yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, if you've been following the Twitter account uh, we haven't actually cancelled the podcast in favour of a Jack Davenport podcast, an actor who almost certainly about three people know who he is by name. No, we're gonna talk about PTA. Paul Thomas Anderson wrote and directed this. A (laughs) obviously critically acclaimed director. He made one of my favourite movies of all time, which if we do the 90s we will almost certainly do. But the only other movie he directed this decade was Punch Drunk Love and he spent a good long time. I'm trying to make There Will Be Blood happen but I think the results speak it, it, for themselves
1: he it has such a phenomenal career where you can point to inherent vice and go this is quite clearly like his weakest movie and it's still really damn good he's done two of my favourite movies of this decade He had like Boogie Nights Magnolia Punch Rock Love are all masterpieces in their own way he's really good and I think one of the things that's kind of like quite you hear people talk about his movies and you think it is going to be kind of like David Lynch art school kind of like wanky stuff yes and then you watch it and you go like no there's a there's There's a sense of humour here. Like, he has such command of tone, and he can do, like, this deeply dramatic stuff, but then he can also do the best Adam Sandler movie.
0: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) he was... uh, I don't want to say he was a comedy director, but there was certainly a more comedic bent, and then this is, I guess, his first attempt to just be outright serious. But even um, then,
1: like, this movie is really damn funny at points. Like, the yeah. entire final confrontation is dark comedy. Like... <laughs> it's bizarre. It's so bizarre. The only thing
0: I knew about it. So this was released December 26th, what we hear call Boxing Day of 2007 in the US. But it didn't come to our fair shores until the day after Valentine's Day, February 15th.
1: Yes, 2000- we don't release movies the week around Christmas in the UK because yeah. most people are sat at home watching television rather than going to the cinema.
0: Or if we do, they're like, you know, silly family ones, not Oscar contender.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's bizarre. In America, it's like, the week after Christmas is like, I think 2012 they released both Django Unchained and Les Mis in the week mm-hmm. after Christmas, and it's like, yeah, in the UK, you just don't leave the house. No, for as long as possible. Advice I
0: forgot to stop taking in my adult life for just 365 days a year. So, we've talked about 2007 to death. There are no more movies on this list coming out in 2007 after this, thank God. All you can talk about, really, Benjamin, are uh, box. boxer Office aficionado is you know how did this film perform in its opening weekend week month etc.
1: I mean interestingly it's cu- it's marked down on here as coming out the same week as Juno. I think there was a a limited release in the UK on the same weekend as Juno, so opens number eleven outside the top ten, it only four hundred and twenty thousand equivalent dollars.
0: Yeah, I don't have the days for Juno here. I've just got December and February, so the same two months.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jun- Juno open number two. there will be like open number eleven, but then the week after the we takes like a massive bump and jumps up to number seven yeah. uh, does about a million million dollars equivalent in the UK once um, all
0: the like investment bankers have been told this is a movie you have to like well,
1: <laughs> go see it I mean it released by Walt Disney in the UK of all the bizarre <laughs> things um, it released the same week as Jumper and only made a six of the amount of money <laughs> um, confirmation that Hayden Christensen is a better actor than um, Daniel Day-Lewis. Day-Lewis yeah
0: he is a juggernaut of the box office
1: he has been in two of the highest grossing movies of all time that is completely I... fair to say about him
0: I know I'm not joking. He's a juggernaut of the boxer.
1: What other movies has he done that have done that well? Can we count episode six, that movie that he is in? Oh,
0: he's in that, yeah. Give him his gross backwards.
1: (laughs) He wasn't born when that movie came out. But it's probably what oh, it no, he was the, he was two years old when episode 6 came out so he does he really? <laughs> on the wikipedia page for Hayden Christensen it says 2019 Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker Anakin Skywalker rumoured
0: oh, Star Wars people need to be stopped at all costs this is 158 minutes long and you know I have grumbled about long movies on the podcast and in general we are the opposite like with music you hate it when there's a long album and I love it whereas with movies we're the opposite and you want them to be nine hours long and I like them to be toyster
1: uh, one. I, I I appreciate like <laughs> a tight ninety-minute-long movie. Yeah. Like I will always appreciate a tight ninety-nine-minute-long movie. But yeah. the thing is, like it it does seem to be that like my favorite movies do drag out to about three hours. Like,
0: Look, if you want your Oscar buzz, you need to be two and a half <laughs> hours long. Um. Yeah, but I, I was gonna say, like, while I complained about the lengths of Zodiac and No Country for Old Men, uh, I actually didn't really feel this one as like a slog. Possibly because I watched it in two parts, which I almost never do. But no, I it, and maybe because it's. A first time viewing so i didn't know where it was going next but
1: yeah i think it, one of the interesting things about this one is zodiac's kind of like three chunks of a movie whereas this every single scene in this operates its own unique unit so like if you kind of like stop the movie at the end of the scene and then go off it's not episodic but it is very much kind of like you get the ebb and flow of like a conflict or something happening within like yeah it's a lot, a lot of ju- it, 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 it. I mean I've not read the book that this is based on but I have to assume that kind of like part of that structure is no. influenced by that, no? No. <laughs>
0: They, they took the bare bones of the beginning of the book and then abandoned the rest. The book, of course, is
1: Oil by Upton Sinclair. Uh, yes. The exclamation
0: mark is very important. It is, because it looks like an oil derrick. No, i um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they took the first 150 pages of it, and then apparently it goes off into wildly different territory that they weren't interested in, so they just took the beginning. And Oil was banned in Boston for its
1: motel sex scene. I think that's all we need to know about it.
0: Uh-huh. $25 million budget, $76 million growth, that makes it PTA's most profitable film, which is bonkers,
1: quite frankly. How much did Phantom Fred make? Because Phantom Fred is a $35 million budget on a $47.8 million box office. Yeah, there you go. Um, Phantom Fred is really good. I have a friend who worked on that movie. She said that she hated Down Lewis by the end of it. <laughs> I mean, Take that as you will.
0: most people hate Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh,
1: it was quite funny talking to her before the movie came out and her going, like, it was like one of the most stressful experiences of her life. And then I watched the movie and I was like, oh, this is really good. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I'm sorry. I mean, uh, no, boo. <laughs> Eric Schlosser, who was the writer of Fast Food Nation and PTA, both separately read and loved oil. Schlosser was the one that acquired the film rights, but then through some divine witchcraft, PTA ended up with them. I don't know if that means that at one point they were writing this together and he stepped away, or if PTA just sweet-talked him into handing them over or what. But he was trying to write a movie about feuding families, and he was really struggling with it, and then he just picked up a copy of oil and really liked it and like used it to tie together the various things he'd been struggling with. So it kind of came to the rescue. And obviously this isn't two families feuding, it's very much one family and a family of ostensibly one feuding with the entire world. But you can kind of see how it would call to him if that's what he was going for. He wrote the script with Daniel Day Lewis in mind, approached him after hearing that he was a fan of Punch Drunk Love. Some of the producers said that like we probably wouldn't have made the movie if he'd turned it down. He didn't though and he spent three years preparing for this role, reviewing materials practicing that incredibly distinctive voice that I texted you like what the fuck is this accent and you just said incredible. (laughs) And I agree with you, it's just where the hell is this guy going to be from? The reason he had so long to prepare I think was because it took them two years to secure funding because studios, you know, you hear the pitch (laughs) and it's like, yeah I don't think this is a major film i think you're talking about an indie picture my friend but they needed that money for oil derricks so they eventually got it
1: this movie is so gorgeous
0: yeah yeah yeah. eventually yeah eventually (laughs) I just think the opening is a bit. Right. We'll talk about that in one second. This is the only example I've ever seen of a distributor asking for an age rating to be raised for their film because in the UK it was set, it was given a 12A, which means if you are under 12, you can see it if accompanied by an adult. And I guess Disney, then, as you said, distributed it here, asked them to raise it to a 15, which that normally goes the other way. But maybe they were sort of worried about their um,
1: any sort of controversy. I mean, I, I think I think it was Disney via Miramax. I okay. want to say.
0: Oh uh, yeah, it does. Say that lovely Merramax logo at the beginning, doesn't
1: it? I mean, that's the thing. So I was watching it at the end. I was like, there is not much, like, swearing in this. And there's not no. much blood.
0: Ironic, given there will be some. There uh,
1: will be some. But, like, I mean, obviously <laughs> there's, there's blood. Like, at the end of the movie, he is at least a two-time murderer.
0: Yes, but they're not... Uh... I mean, you could easily have just not had the camera look down and seen the state of Eli at the end, and neither of those murders would actually have been that
1: violent. <laughs> if anything, the implication of the the first murder is like more deeply depressing than like the other ones, where it's just like, oh no, guns are so new, and this is such a shitty gun that like shooting him in the head takes like a good ten seconds for it to like kick in that this person's dead. I
0: was like, did he miss, <laughs> or like what happened? Anyway, let's talk about it. Speaking of talking, nobody does that for 15 straight fucking minutes. And it's is,
1: so good. There is
0: an utterance of the word no, but it's very much sort of in the background. Daniel Plainview finds silver and then oil, and there's a very unsettling score playing in the background. It's doing its job, but it was very not pleasant viewing for me, tucked up under many faux fur blankets last night in bed. <laughs> just, you know, trying to be cosy at midnight, and no, just like...
1: This is Johnny Greenwood's score, which is, kind of like at this point while seen as like one of the best scores of the 21st century disallowed from the Oscars because it used elements or like an entire song from like something had been commercially released before which oh. made it ineligible it's this bizarre thing where like the Oscars are just like you've, you've used bits of music that have been commercially released before therefore it's not an original score and it's like
0: can I, I mean, offer you a controversial opinion what the rules and regulations of the various guilds and the academy and all of this are fucking bullshit
1: <laughs> <laughs> controversial I
0: know scorching hot take there
1: I think all of Johnny Greenwood's film scores are like insanely good his Phantom of score is amazing I think he finally got the Oscar nomination for that one he also did You Were Never Really Hear the Up Phoenix movie he's like he just goes off and does it like in between Radiohead albums and
0: <laughs> <laughs> I probably should have been paying closer attention than I was because I realised much later that like the truth about HW is like right there in front of you and I was, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I was like is he lying at the end and I was like oh no no oh, way that it was right like
1: there. his fa- his father is down in the oil well with Daniel and then the the the, the what's it called the
0: Armageddon when you were given an extensive lecture about how drilling works yeah I, mean... I to
1: be fair this movie set about 100 years before armageddon <laughs>
0: Yeah, but it came out after, so come on. <laughs> Obviously, this is good stuff, you know, like, seeing him, like, break his fucking leg and still crawl out of there. And, and his... the
1: fact that the fact that for the rest of the movie, he's got, like, a little bit of a hobble.
0: Yeah, and it gets more and more pronounced, he just becomes this haggard man who can barely get around.
1: Yeah, I mean, you get it, who he
0: is, They're, you know, he's an incredibly determined man who won't be told no, and, like, you know, you see the positive and the extreme negative of that mindset.
1: It's that interesting where, like, it's not apparent what he's looking for at first. He's drilling down. There and stuff like that, and he kind of like goes like, I've, I could go away with the precious rocks, but that's not what I'm looking for. I'm well, he goes for. and
0: gets a certificate, like he needed a certificate of like a discovery of silver or gold, and then he uses that, I think, to allow him to then drill for oil, which is what he's really looking for. But yeah, yeah. But we see Dan, you know, and once he starts talking, like you told me, he doesn't shut the fuck up. <laughs> In a good way, though. like it's great, it's mesmerizing to just see this man just spout his bullshit for two hours
1: straight. Is he like one of the most? Normal- Oscar uh, actors of all time for the Oscars because he's yeah. he's one three which kind of like firmly puts him in kind and of I mean- like only nine people have won two, and at the time that
0: he won the second one, only eight people had, and then Sean Penn got a second one.
1: He's won his three Oscars. Is he
0: the only one to win it three
1: times? Catherine Hepburn has got four Oscars okay. to her name, but oh. he's got three. Meryl Streep's got two. Mm-hmm. Nicholson's got two. So yeah, he's he's one of the most awarded actors of all time, but he's also got six nominations to her name. So he's not like yeah. the most nominated actor, but I think for the limited amount of work that he does, because he really only does a couple of movies every few years or so, yeah, he's been nominated for six Oscars. Oscars for his last like one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve for his last twelve he's fifty percent success rate on getting an Oscar nomination. Yeah. Pretty much. I
0: mean, this is his reputation. He's a grumpy method actor who barely works, and when he does, he gets a fucking Oscar. Probably, but I mean, he doesn't literally. But that's just sort of his image in Hollywood. That, like, and, know, but like, but that thing is he like is I mean, the actor's
1: act actor and all of that. Like, I wouldn't give him an Oscar for Gangs of New York, but like, I, I would definitely make a fight for like his work in Phantom Fred being like the best actor of that year, and obviously like his. Lincoln is just as insane as this one. I mean, Lincoln's not, like, a great movie, but you can tell he's put the work in, which I think is what's kind of a little bit disappointing when he does kind of, like, real-life historical characters, is that he kind of goes overboard in a different way, whereas when he gets to create a character on his own, it's a lot more interesting, and that's why I think PTA kind of, like, really does help him an awful lot and that's not to say like his my left foot isn't a phenomenal performance but like there will be blood and woodcock in phantom fred are like almost whole cloth like original creations and there's something so much more enchanting about the way he plays both of those
0: but It does come at a price, which we'll get into in two different occasions in this movie. Daniel Plainview, a few years later, having struck oil. He's travelling around California, trying to... Driving hard bargains, he's buying up land to drill for oil. And he is approached by one Paul Sunday, who tips him off about some oil near the surface of the land that he grew up on. In a place called Little Boston, in California. How quaint! So, Paul... Are we going Dano? Dano? Dano. Dano. Paul Dano. Cutting through his bullshit and insisting he's like I'd prefer you didn't treat me like I'm an idiot or whatever is really good and like refusing to be sort of rope doped by Plainview who does this all the time you know like he intimidates people and he, he talks them round in circles or whatever and it, he's really good here and it's crazy that they only wanted him for this tiny little role here because you know as I said the Daniel Day-Lewis factor took <laughs> took a toll. A individual by the name Kel O'Neill was originally set to play Eli, and he was either fired or quit, and there are accusations about Daniel Day-Lewis being a massive prick on set, you know, being a little bit too method, the intensity, etc. But regardless of what, you know, PTA has denied this, and, and obviously Daniel Day-Lewis has denied this, but Paul Dano was given four days' notice to play Eli Sunday. He, they asked him on Thursday, and they were shooting on Monday, which is fucking bizarre. Like, that's crazy. Daniel Taylor's got three years to perfect Daniel Plainview, and Paul Dana's really good as Eli, and he did it in four days.
1: Yeah, he's re- he's really good. It's probably his best performance. He's a year off of Little Miss Sunshine, which is probably, like, at that point, his most kind of, like... Famous role, he had acted. I don't know if he's opposite Daniel Day Lewis in the movie, but he is in the ballad of "Jack and Rose" two years beforehand, which Daniel Day Lewis is in. So they obviously like either maybe they had like a connection from that, and so he kind of knew what Daniel Day Lewis was like. But yeah, like I mean, after this kind of like pulled down is so good yeah, in both of really these roles. Is. I think it is a little bit off-putting is that the movie makes no point to say like they mention that they're brothers, but the movie makes no point to say like they're twins or anything like that because they weren't supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> so I imagine like if you're watching it in a state where like you're wrapped up in a duvet. Midnight.
0: No, you I mean I, I mean I did I did give you a heads up. I knew of him as Eli, so I was actually instead sort of surprised to see him there as not a preacher man. Uh and then you told me what happened, but
1: yeah. People who, who I know have seen the movie are always a bit taking about saying, like, so were they different people? Like I oh, like like he's what, he's playing two different roles. Well, you've people got different names. Them. They do, they <laughs> Paul do Paul and
0: Eli. Eli Sunday, of course, you have to be a preacher with that name. And Plainview, of course, threatens him. He's like, you know, if I go there and you're
1: lying, I will come back, and I want more than my money. <laughs> so, uh... Can we can we talk about how good Paul Dano is? Of course we can. No, and just in general, like, I think yeah. Paul Dano makes like so many movies. Like, because he's really good in Looper. He's really good in Twelve Years a Slave. He's really good in Swiss Army Man. He's really good in Archer. And I just feel like he doesn't kind of get.
0: I think he's good in Love and Mercy, even if Love and Mercy isn't good. Yeah. And
1: Swiss Army Man, like that's a trip,
0: isn't it? Uh, but he's good in it. At least so there's
1: that but yeah. I think it's like he's someone who like I feel like is never like the selling point of a movie but you're always happy when he shows up in one yeah.
0: and I really do hope that the rumors that he's in the Batman are true and uh, we get this just delightful indie riffic, horny Batman movie uh with him <laughs> as like Riddler or whoever that'd be great so I takes takes his son H.W. do we ever know what H.W. stands for uh, they it? just say H.W. just old timey prospector type shit you know this is H.W. H.W. Plainview takes him out to scout the land. They offer the Sunday family $3,700 for it, but Paul's brother, Eli, demands $10,000. He does say, you know, for the church, you know, I want to d- d- do up the church and-, and all of this stuff. And Plainview makes the purchase for 5000 due after the well is set up, and so he gets to work. So the kid playing H.W. was not an actor. They just went down to Texas and were, like, asking for children. That's a bizarre way to phrase it. They went down to Texas looking for children. And the principal of his school recommended him and he didn't audition they just talked to him and were like yep he's gonna get it but his mother initially refused because she watched gangs of new york and was like i don't want my son around daniel day lewis (laughs) and the producers scrambled and got her a copy of age of innocence where he isn't a murderous asshole psychopath i assume he was nice to the kid at least (laughs) i would hope but yeah
1: i mean he never he never hits the kids no, I just like, mean like, I mean like, like, like
0: offset. Like his his manner is famous, and I hope yeah. he was at least courteous to the child. Yeah. I'm just, I'm Always just kept this. far away from him until they were acting or something. Yeah.
1: They they make a point in the movie of being like, for whatever reason, Daniel Plainview hates people hitting children, and he's just like, "Oh, your dad's not going to hit you anymore, Mary." And then I don't know he beats other people up so badly.
0: There's a lot of
1: slapping in this movie.
0: big old bully, but he doesn't bully children. Them being there under the guise of, like, oh, we're just camping and quail hunting, and, like, telling HW, oh, we're gonna pay quail prices, not oil prices, and giving his little speech about building pipelines and doing deals with companies instead of paying the, like, extortionate shipping rates that would have otherwise financially limited him and everything, and... I love how, like, right from the jump when these two meet, and I guess you could kind of transfer it over to Paul, but especially with Eli, like, that there's just this clash immediately, and that it's this, it's not so much egos, because Eli's sort of got that, you know, the voice of the church behind him or whatever, and, and Daniel in View answers to no God, no man, and just how visibly furious he is with him as he's trying to, he's trying to pitch to <laughs> Mr. Sunday, and Eli keeps interrupting, and he's just, like, doing his best to sort of keep on track, and keep talking and keep seeming like a reasonable human being but just it's there immediately that they fucking hate each other (laughs) it will continue that way
1: it's the fact that he's so exasperated and he's just like every single thing that Eli's saying is like the right thing to say and it's really pissing him off but this because he gets his
0: way all the time you see him occasionally meet someone who's not a fucking idiot and he hates it
1: (laughs) yeah and like I I just love the bit where like he's talking about like oh I love quails my son's ill he needs to be well I need some fresh air and then Eli's just like yeah but there's oil here he's like is
0: there? Oh. <laughs> but
1: is there? Is there oil? And then, and then, he's just like, "Yes, I think there is oil. I think it's worth some money." And then, and then Daniel's just like, "Oh, but like if there was oil here," and then he goes off in this long rant about like all the difficult ways it would be to like. Yeah, get oil he, it's uh, like there's no way that any normal person would know the difficulties of like exactly. extracting oil from the ground unless they were an oil man.
0: And he's like, you know, oh, just a bit of oil near the surface isn't proof that there's a lot underground, or and yeah, he's like, oh, are you gonna get someone up here and do all of this
1: stuff? I think that's called seepage. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, he's full of shit, isn't he?
0: And then he gives his little spiel to the townsfolk after they have agreed and everything. And
1: which is which is the second time we've seen it because the first time he does it in a little township, like he's willing to walk away because there's so much fighting. Like he doesn't want to have difficulty with it. Mm-hmm. And so, like a town where like one person's a holdout, like this one, is a, a far reach from like this town, where like everyone's fighting and wants him to go and everything.
0: He just wants everyone to do as they're told, and you can see that coming up with
1: both his son and his alleged brother. I think the other issue is. Is that the other town definitely has oil? In that, like, when they leave, you see them like jumping over this like river of oil that's kind of like flowing downhill.
0: Whereas which, this is like a, a hidden secret no one knows about, so you can
1: get in and get it cheap. Yeah, price. Which, which is the whole, which is the whole point is like everyone's kind of like trying to find these bits where like there might be oil here. We just need to buy the land and drill it and get yeah. it cheap before other people realize that there's so much fucking oil.
0: For Captain Rockefeller rocks up and uh, takes it all. Daniel Day-Lewis improvised the little speech to the town's folk. Because
1: he was just
0: he was Daniel Plainview for three years, and you get Eli being the one to like ask. I'll take any of your questions, and then Eli, of course, is like, "Will there be a road to the church?" And he's like, <laughs> "That'll be the first place the road goes," and then no one else has any questions. I think that's great. Yeah, there's that uh, there is one holdout. I don't think they make. Maybe they do make it clear and I wasn't paying attention, but it, it becomes a, a theme throughout. But I guess from this early point, we know that one person has held out.
1: Yeah, like they, they just go back in the back room and he's just like, this person's a holdout and he goes like, oh, it, it, I'll ignore them. I'm not going to go see them. Yeah. They'll come to us eventually because they're going to be missing out all the money that we've given everyone else. Yeah. It's fine. It'll work itself out. Yeah. Like, Because that's the thing. He's both got so much hubris. He doesn't like when people question him and he's got so much hubris to think that like everything's going to work out the way that he wants it to.
0: Eli insists on blessing the new well and uh, <laughs> Daniel refuses soon after a man dies during drilling and Eli claims it was due to him not being allowed to bless it so you get this scene where Eli is like telling him how it's gonna be and he's like oh you should say this and then I'll walk up and you should say and, and it's like clearly bothering Daniel, but he doesn't outright refuse. Instead, he just when they ostensibly have an agreement, he instead just goes in and does it himself while holding H.W.'s hand and Mary's hand. Mary is uh, Eli and Paul's little sister, and she and H.W. play a lot, and end up getting married, but yeah. Yeah, he just kind of sweeps it out from under him and blesses it himself, kind
1: of thing. And like like the, the look on Paul Dano's face at this point is so, kind of like, he's so annoyed, but also he doesn't want to have an outburst.
0: Yeah, it's sort of subtext, but I think he fucking enjoys the, I am respected because I am a man of the church and this is a God-fearing area of the country and and his persona is he is quiet and calm and humble, but he likes the power, and Daniel Plainview can't be, he doesn't respect that power, and they butt heads. He gives this sermon and, and Dano is, like, fucking crushing it with this, like, incredibly animated sermon where he's like, get the devil out, and he's, like, physically, like, miming it and everything, and it's. It's, it's quite insane. Plainview comes to him afterwards and like is like, can you do a funeral service? And they're sort of like talking over each other and just Plainview just finds this way to like have the last word and and, <laughs> and he does that quite a lot. Like he will sort of somewhat engage people in a debate but he will just be the one that says the last thing loudest and then walk away so we get another accident this one far more well I guess someone dying
1: is what this. This, this one's far more personal to Daniel yes. like well, this this is like all the other ones have always been kind of like a step away like he doesn't know the person who dies in the first accident at the, the little Boston well yeah. and so like he's just like I'll oh, just fish him out don't start the well up until like midday tomorrow yeah. whereas this one is they hit on a gas pocket And
0: it goes up in flames. And H.W. was left deaf. The scene of him carrying the kid across the field with, you know, this music playing and everything, just so, so good. Like, it's not quite a one-shot, but, you know, it's just this big sweeping, like, you know, him sprinting. I, they, they
1: make a point that, like, this whole sequence is kind of, like, quite a few continuous tracking shots. Like, yeah. it's not all done as a one-er, because no. there is, like, a little bit of cutting, but it is kind of, like, three, four, five, kind of, like, very long continuous one Um, Well,
0: most one aren't actually
1: one but you know. No, this is true. <laughs> this, is, this is just kind of basically like removing the kind of the appearance of it being yeah.
0: conclusive Mance Raider asks him uh, <laughs> I will not call him his real name here's Mance Raider asking him if his son is going to be okay and he just says no he isn't It's just so so matter-of-fact about it.
1: it, It's it's the combination of, like, because he takes his son inside and his son's just like, I can't hear my voice, I can't hear my voice. Mm. But Daniel, in the back of his mind, is going like, I need to go out and check on my oil. because that's my real baby. (laughs) That's my real baby. And he's, like, trying to get away from his son and his son's just, like, holding on to him and screaming, like, don't go, don't go. And it's so heart-wrenching. And then he's just like, to some other employees like, hold him down, hold him down. I'm going back outside.
0: You see a lot of... Daniel, (sighs) like... he is affectionate with him like he hugs him he kisses him he spoons him but then he is also like you know I assume his final speech to him at the end is intended to wound and it isn't the full 100% truth that he doesn't give a shit about him but it's like there is something in the middle there where like his priority is elsewhere and you see how like aggressively he makes him like drink that milk in a few scenes and
1: I think I think he's just I think he's just someone who like I think he's trying to
0: like make it be you know like and it's not genuine like deep down he doesn't give a shit but like he thinks he should because he does talk about like wanting children when he was younger and stuff.
1: I think he just wants people to like do what he tells them to do and that's yeah. the whole issue with that the, the final confrontation like the reason why he does what he says what he says to to HW is because HW says I'm leaving I don't want to be your partner anymore yeah. but I still want to and he's just like well no that's not the relationship that I have envisioned for us exactly. th- <laughs> th- therefore I'm going to nuke our entire relationship
0: yes my pantomime theatre is not going as I intended Mance Raider is like obviously visibly dejected by this giant fuck-off fire that is happening. And Which they
1: actually did. Yes. They set fire to this fucking thing in the middle ruined of the Ruined
0: No Country for Old Men's shooting. Uh, While well, they were doing a test shot, and that ruined it, but yeah. And he's like, you know, what are you looking sad about? It means there's more oil than we thought, essentially, or, or something to that effect. And he's yeah, like, like, we, found, we found a pocket.
1: There's an entire ocean of oil under our feet, yeah. and just the smile on his face. Yeah. And Robert Ellsworth, who won the Oscar for this. I, I love that the Kind of camera, kind of goes like kind of old timey because like the fire is encroaching around the sides and there's like this yeah. oval of focus in the middle of the camera yeah. of like the lens and they're silhouetted in the background against it and it's just yeah. the whole sequence where like they've set fire to it and they're running around around the outside of it is is so it's gorgeous. The,
0: it's the I think it's the best scene in the movie personally. Daniel's like evil smile by firelight, and then you sweep across to Eli, looking out the window, and Paul Dano just looks so fucking menacing in, like, a different kind of way, and again, sort of lit by the fire, as it were. And the score is obviously, again, working overtime, trying to make you uncomfortable, it's very intense, right up until he's sitting on a little stool and he like directs them in with the little dynamite carts to stop it and the second the, the fire stops the music cuts out and it's, yeah. it's perfect that's perfect like, it's yeah, like,
1: ev- ev- everything about this movie kind of like on a technical level is so good and like whilst I probably would have given the Oscar to Roger Deakins for No Country I'm not sad that this movie won over it they're both two of the, the most visually sumptuous movies that I've, I've ever seen there is a, a skill to making a desert look this gorgeous Yeah,
0: I think No country looks better overall but this scene in particular might be better than anything in no country yeah I, I mean like that
1: thing is like the whole the whole issue with Roger Deakins is that he was nominated for two movies this year so he like he loses out on having two of the best looking movies and no one could decide which movie looked the best yeah. and so but like he he wins it eventually for Blade Runner which is also another astonishingly gorgeous movie and he will probably win it again for 1917 this year if the rumors of that movie being a single shot movie are true Jesus yeah Yeah, he's back with with Sam Mendes, who, again, like, the scene at the end of Skyfall is so good, where they set fire to the house, and they're running across is is one of the, is so insanely good looking for a James Bond movie. We'll
0: (laughs) talk about James Bond in January, okay? Or January, February, March, etc. Eli comes to Daniel and asks for the money that he is owed, like... Because that was the deal. It's 5,000 and it's once the Derek start, you know, once it's actually found oil and he has given him no money. And Daniel instead assaults him, humiliates him, rubs mud in his face, tells him he's going to bury him under the ground. (laughs) And it's like, I I said this to you that like, the annoying part about Daniel as a character, because we're very clearly not supposed to like him, is that he is the way he is, but he is also quite a large man. And you just get the sense that his entire life, he has been able to dominate smaller people than him and he just took that ethos and applied it to business and just seeing him, like, Eli's not a wonderful human himself, but just seeing this man, like, pinned down and slapped around and covered in mud and everything it's just upsetting and then of course Eli sitting at the dinner table still covered in mud and then just lashing out and assaulting his own father and it's you know really tying these two together in this singular narrative and Daniel's bigger than Eli Eli's able to dominate his father just angry frustrated men trying to assert themselves on
1: lots of toxic masculinity in this movie
0: yes there you go
1: (laughs) I love the scene with his father because obviously it goes from like (laughs) just the fact you are a, a petty weak man or whatever he's saying to him and lording over him in the exact same way that Daniel was doing it to him is... Paul Dano does not get enough respect for this movie. No. Like, I the, the first thing I text you about this when I started watching it was, it's a travesty that Paul Dano was not nominated for Best Supporting Actor. No.
0: Yeah, and, absolutely. And it, it really is. He's keeping pace. I and I'm not going to say he's better than Daniel Day-Lewis, but you know, he's keeping up with him. And that's, like, that's I, the he thing, had four it? days to prepare for this. <laughs>
1: that's the thing. It's like At the end of the day, I don't think he would have won because for Supporting Actor, he's up against Javier Bardem
0: mm.
1: he's up against Casey Affleck for Assassination of Jesse James and the Coward Robert Ford which is a really good performance Philip Seymour Hoffman for Charlie Wilson's War and that's the Hoffman Hal Holbrook for Into the Wild and Tom Wilkinson for Michael Clayton yeah. and like none of those performances are bad but this is Paul Dano's best performance and the fact that he's kind of coming out of nowhere and is able to like share the screen with Danny Day-Lewis and not feel like it's kind of like he's being acted off the, off the screen no. is and like
0: something- he he has his own intensity I don't think he's necessarily intense in the same scenes that Daniel Day-Lewis is intense, but you know, those sermon scenes are like, they look tiring. <laughs> like, when he's doing all of his shit and screaming and hollering and everything. At this point we have a man rock up and claim to be Henry Plainview, Daniel's half-brother, and Daniel is suspicious from the jump, like, he wants identification and you know, like, insisting, I want you to say that you want to stay here and work, and Henry I, gives- d- I, d- I
1: don't want you kind of talking circles around me, I want- <laughs> I just want you to Plainly tell me what you want from him. Yeah, me. the
0: irony of this. <laughs> when he, for a living, talks people around in circles. And Henry gives these really vague answers about... You know, he's like, oh, I've done some time in prison. And he's like, ironically, you know, of all the bad things I've done, when they, when they arrested me, I hadn't done anything. It's like, these aren't satisfying answers. <laughs> Through him, the closest we get to even delving into the background of Daniel Plainview, he's asking him a bit about working for his father and everything. And he says, I don't like to explain myself and then he also we get his subtext made text as he says. I have a competition in me. I want no one else to succeed. I hate most people. There are times when I look at people and I see nothing worth liking. And it's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see that. No, but just to hear, for, to imagine being the kind of person that could say that out loud, like confess that. Because I feel there are many people that feel that way deep down. Uh, horrible, horrible people. But I think it takes something even darker to come out and fucking say it and mean especially it, especially to someone who you've never met
1: before. And the only reason you're kind of like feeling like you can say it is because they are apparently your sibling
0: and he says he wants to earn enough money to get away from everyone and it's like i mean i guess congratulations he achieves that at the end of the movie but he doesn't seem very happy and you know he says if it's in me it's in you because henry's like you know i've experienced so much failure that i'm i've just given up i don't give a shit and it's like these are all red flags that this man is not who he says he is well, kind of, because there's another the side I mean, where I mean, Daniel the, the, is a psychopath and Henry could just be a normal person, well, I mean yeah.
1: I mean, the biggest red flag comes when H.W. tries to burn Henry alive Yes,
0: I was gonna say, <laughs> H.W. I, I had this under a separate point uh, He, like, looks through his things and then starts a fire in the middle of the night, so Daniel puts him on a fucking train to San Francisco and Which is so
1: heartbreaking Straight
0: up lies to his face and is like, I'll be right back and then he gets off, and then someone has to physically keep the boy on the train it's he... it's
1: it's Mats Rader.
0: Is it? Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: yeah Mats is the one who's... That's why when he comes back later on, he's like... I like, like that where...
0: you're doing it too now.
1: <laughs> I, I will say Kieran Hines' name. Okay, you shouldn't. Uh... <laughs> he, he was terrible in Justice League.
0: He doesn't get enough to do here either, I don't think, anyway.
1: I think it's just a bizarre thing that Kieran Hines is like fourth build on this movie. Mm. And I, I mean, like, he, he's kind of more of a stage actor at this point. Obviously, he's done like a whole load of movies, but he very much is kind of like Royal Shakespeare Company, Golden Boy.
0: I just would think if you they didn't necessarily cast him thinking yeah we got some meaty scenes for you but like if you got an actor on set and then you realise too late like oh shit he's actually quite good I would try and write him a scene or something I don't know but there was no doubt you weren't supposed to like this man but this is really fucking dark as he sends him off to a school for death and like
1: and like you stay with him as like he gets into his car and you can see his son like trying to jump off the train to like be with him as it like goes past and it's just like oh this is this is horrific.
0: And he just straight up substitutes him for Henry, like his new quiet, obedient sidekick to talk at, and, you know, he takes him along to his dealings and everything, and he is offered a million dollars by Standard Oil. That's Rockefeller's company, I think. And he says no, because... He's like, what else? What will I do? <laughs> and he uh, and he asks it at first, seemingly rhetorically, and then aggressively, like, what will I do? And he tells them they should go scratch around in the dirt like everyone else. And it's like, I appreciate you have put in a lot of physical labor and like broken your leg, and and it's not like he sits back and makes other people work. He does work. It's just he's not an honest person, and that feels a bit rich to me.
1: Him telling. It, I mean, they're both kind of forces of capitalism. It's just oh, one of yeah. them is, one of them is like the big corporation coming in trying to buy the person that's had the success, and the other person is the person who's had success because they've been unscrupulous with... They're not, like, a local business. They are still someone who could, if they tried, become as big as Union or whatever, but, like, they just kind of... It's two forces of, like, oh, we just want to make $5,000 a week or whatever it is.
0: I mean, this is is Amazon and Disney swiping at each other for being morally reprehensible, let's let's be real. And he tells them he's going to come into (laughs) <laughs> so he's gonna come into his house at night and cut his throat because he's told him how he should, like, run his family. Because he keeps asking about his son, and he, they're trying to play it from that angle. It's like, they're not sincere in that. I think they're trying to use that against him in the same way he uses his son as a business tactic. He's like, you know, if you take this money, you can just take care of your son. And he's like, don't you fucking tell me. <laughs> it's, yeah, really dark. And, like, he asks them about lowering their shipping prices, and they say well, we don't have any control over that. And, like, the real Standard Oil, like, Rock Rockefeller was able to get a 71% discount on shipping, which is why he became the richest man in the fucking world, because he was just the unchallenged oil baron. But he didn't have a Daniel Plainview to contend with, so, yeah. So Daniel and Henry start plotting out this proposed pipeline, this is the point where Daniel discovers that Henry is a fraud, and so he murders and buries him. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like, because he, he mentions, like, oh, we can go to the, the peach field and get drunk or whatever it is. Oh, he wants to, like, take some
0: girls to a dance or whatever. That's, yeah. that's,
1: that's what he wants to do, but I think he does it as, like, a reference to mm. their hometown and he gets no reaction whatsoever. Yeah, from... and he repeats himself and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, it, you know, starts, like, it starts to set off things where it's just, like... It's...
0: He's testing at him and, you know, he's, he's like, telling him about, like, a house... That he saw when he was a boy and he wanted to live in it and have children running around in it. And, and he's going to build his giant house near the ocean. And it's like, I don't know if by saying that as a boy, I wanted to have a house full of children, I don't know if that's saying I still want that. But like, he doesn't seem to actually give a shit about kids or like a family or of, of anything. I mean, because
1: he, he follows up and goes, The idea of it makes me sick now. I don't want that now. That's, yeah. that's what I was then. This, yeah. I am now. Now
0: I want my lighthouse. Yeah. <laughs> I also really like before any of this when he's like looking at the map and he's like why don't I own this why don't I own this and it's like oh god you it's really just all happening for you isn't it And he also, he briefly learns that H.W. is having to share a room at this school with an older boy, and, like, he does seem legitimately quite vexed by it, but not enough to do anything yet. And he does make another attempt to buy the bandy ranch. But instead, he murders his brother, who confesses, I knew the real Henry, he died from tuberculosis, he told me all about you, I've got his diary, like, and that then makes it clear why H.W. did what H.W. did. (laughs) And yeah, you just get this really bizarre death scene where it's like did he just fire the gun next to his ear to like deafen him as his son was deafened it's like no he shot him in the head it's just guns to shit at this point
1: <laughs> yeah it, I mean that, that's exactly it. it like it's the tiniest gun in the world it's probably like <laughs> only made it about kind of like three inches into his skull yeah. or whatever uh, it reminds
0: me of that scene in uh, The Simpsons you know we've all got derringers and they're all just like doing nothing and then you know you see him after he's buried him like he is sitting there reading the diary and crying and it's like the only point in the movie where you get a vulnerable version of Oh, him. you you
1: get the brief bit when he's on the train with his son. Like, you see a tear drop down from his eye yeah. when he's about to leave his son. Like, like, there is a brief bit of vulnerability there. Like, he doesn't want to do this. Still does it, though. He does, he does. But, I, like, that that is, to me, like, there is signs okay. of vulnerability at other points in the movie, and, like, that single tear dropping down his nose when he's, like, forced to leave his son. Or, not, not forced to leave his son, when he chooses <laughs> to leave his son. Yes, let's be very clear about that. Just seeing him, sort
0: of, like, get drunk by fire and and read this diary and cry and fall asleep he's very good at falling asleep on the floor
1: he is he does it three times in the movie I know
0: I I was like is this motherfucker sleeping face down on wood and you were like fuck yeah he is and then I saw the bowling alley scene I was like good god (laughs) I mean the Um, alcohol will help with that
1: but yeah I mean I I love because their whole day that he and Henry spend together is riding through the bandy tract going down to the the ocean to kind of like scope out the pipeline, and they—they're so confident that they're going to convince this guy to give them the land that they start putting in
0: the markers, yeah. <laughs> the markers
1: and stuff like that. Which I assume are like either like where they're going to put the pipeline, or it's like where they stop owning land. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I I'm think not sure it's meant to be the root of the line. Uh, I don't know. So he comes
0: to, and William Bandy, the owner of this this land he has failed to acquire, knows what he did, and says, "I want you to go to Eli's church and repent." This actor playing William Bandy, there is like a real calm. I'm confident vibe to him that I really dig and like he doesn't have a Wikipedia page so I guess he didn't yeah, it's, go it's on to hands, do much.
1: hands Hans Howes yes
0: I just thought he was really good like it's a tiny little role but he's got a cool vibe to him as this yeah, like, like the, patriarch like, of this family
1: he very quietly gives the gun to, to Daniel and yeah. is just like you've done a sin and like, <laughs> you've you done a sin <laughs> you've done a sin you don't know whether or not he's aware that he's murdered and buried his brother right where he is or just that he's killed someone because he's got a gun on him
0: I mean why would anyone own guns if not to murder people Hehehe <laughs> I also like him calling him on his bullshit because he's like oh now that my son is sick I really need the land he's like you tried to buy it before that and it's like oh yeah fuck
1: (laughs) and he's like shit this person doesn't know the timeline of my life because he is a local who talks to people
0: (laughs) and him being like yep you're gonna go and repent and he's like $3,000 and you're gonna say this $5,000 and it's like just know it like despises the church and like do you you
1: think his derision comes of the church and religion as in general because obviously like there's seen earlier on the movie where is it Eli or is it Paul who asked him like do you follow a faith and then he goes like oh I follow all faith so all of Christianity is good to me I don't I don't I have any I think he
0: recognises that Christianity is widely held but I don't think he respects it in any way I think he resents that there's something that controls people that isn't him quite frankly. Yeah
1: that probably is it. <laughs> um,
0: and then oh, Eli fucking humiliates him he is sitting there looking like a sulky bunny ahead of time or is he sitting next to Bandy and he's like knowing that his my is coming up and like looking at the floor and has to psych himself up to be the one to volunteer and then he puts on the show like he he always makes sure like at all these town meetings and stuff like that he makes sure to be say the right things and and he does it in a vaguely convincing manner but then when it really gets going it's like Jesus and he's like Eli's like asserting that he's lusted after women for which we have no evidence like he seems to take no interest in any woman yeah like like,
1: even even in the scene where like him and Henry are at the the club or whatever it is it's Henry that's like I want money and he's just
0: sitting there there looking sad (laughs) like alone in the corner while his brother is getting licked up I mean you know maybe some stuff's happening off screen we don't know about but he seems like completely indifferent to women
1: This entire time time and obviously like Eli starts telling Daniel what to say Mm -hmm. and Daniel says it quietly and then Eli's like louder
0: say you abandoned your child say Um, you
1: abandoned your child and then and and as it seemed like every single time he says say you abandoned your child the look on Daniel's face of just like I will I will fucking end you don't
0: make me say this like and like you know he makes him yell at it and he goes I abandon my boy and it's like, oh, yeah
1: and then and then the smile on his face mm-hmm. afterwards because like it, it the power dynamic doesn't shift but like once Eli starts slapping Daniel
0: yeah, I know I, I was like this isn't <laughs> gonna end well for you and like the smile on his face like contemptuous as he's like yes come on more and everything it's like oh god
1: I like that he's where, where like where is your god I don't feel your god within me yet it's like <laughs> slap, slap <laughs> me harder bring god to me So oh, so erotic and also Eli's like and Daniel has said he's gonna
0: donate all this money to the church It's was like I don't think that was agreed to Eli <laughs>
1: <laughs> he, he
0: takes it all and he, and he walks out of there I,
1: I, just, I just love that like this is Eli kind of like taking advantage of, like you're on my turf yeah. now this is where I get to take the arthritis out of old <laughs> women's hands and throw it out of the church yep Daniel says something to him before they go and you don't hear what it is but no. I have to assume it wasn't nice
0: no I, I would assume that
1: no <laughs> Eli's kind of stands up the back it looks very dejected yeah so, and
0: he gets you know he gets welcomed as a hero and everyone's like hugging him I, th- I think Mary hugs him
1: as well yeah Mary Mary comes in behind and kind of gives him like a, a cuddle because there behind. is that
0: moment earlier on like I completely forgot to write it down but um, you know where he does say you know he sort of takes a
1: shrine tour and is like you know your father's not going to hit you anymore and, and her father is sat opposite them on the table I know. and it's just like your father's not going to hit you anymore we don't hit people or do we don't hit children do we and then the father's just like oh shit
0: whether this has any true effect on him or not he does the very next scene bring H.W. home from San Francisco and and, like obviously it's a a frosty reception like you know and he's looking even more physically incapable as he's like hobbling over to meet him and then H.W. like slaps him and and hits him and stuff and he just takes it as he should takes him out for this meal and one of the men from Standard Oil is at the next table and Daniel cannot help but confront him.
1: It's my favourite thing about this, I think is that the reason he's brought his son back isn't because he feels bad for sending him away. It's because the people from Standard Oil were just like, "Oh, you can take care of your son," and he takes so much offence of that that like he thinks that people don't think he can take care of his son.
0: I think perhaps like being made to publicly confess he got rid of him or whatever, whether he actually feels guilty or not, which I guess he probably does a bit. I think he knows that he needs to fix that from an image point of view, maybe. And he's yeah, like, oh.
1: I, I think I think we'll see it as like a weakness. Like he is, he's the family oil man now.
0: Yes Exactly. So he brings him home, takes him out for steak, and they get this... The second they walk in, he is bothered. And, like, he makes the passive-aggressive comment about the drinks, like, these people walk in after them, and (laughs) they get served first, and he gets his own drinks from the bar, and he does this weird little bit with a napkin over his face. Like, (laughs) what is this supposed to be? (laughs) Uh, And I just just really like that he just cannot even accept the idea that maybe this man just simply does not give a shit about him, and just, you know, he he may resent that they didn't get that deal, but I kind of read it as he then just got on with his life and went yeah, on he's, to make he's other gone deals. To find,
1: he's gone to find someone else to, like, take a deal from. That, yeah. That's what he's done, because, like, that is, I assume, what Standard Oil was doing at that time, which was yep. just... buying everything. <laughs> buying everything, buying other people's lands, like, okay, we've lost this one, but that doesn't mean there isn't another ocean of oil separated by two feet worth of rock, a hundred miles away from this one. They were like,
0: working with more resources than he was, so it's, like, him on a larger scale, but on a less than ten scale. I
1: I love the kind of different scales, because obviously you get this whole point of, like, Daniel's whole thing is that, like, he'll go to somewhere and go, like, well, if you want to do it yourself, you have to buy a contract, and that's going to cost you money, and all these, like, different things, and then he has the same speech given to him by all these other oil people, Mm -hmm. where they're just like, you don't have access to... The railroads. The railroads, (laughs) and the pipelines, and stuff like that, and even then, you just have oil sat here, and we're not going to buy it from you, we're going to basically make you broke, and then we'll buy it for you at 25 Uh, cents on the barrel, or whatever. You can make a deal with you know, but that's you splitting your profits even further.
0: Yeah, making him be like, You look like a fool, don't you? And it's like, Yeah, okay, buddy. And then he's like, Back over to like shower his but son he in also hugs and heartily
1: kisses. A, and he finishes with the murder threat as well. He you goes know, like, "Remember what I told you."
0: Yeah,
1: and I love that they kind of like hang that there. It's just like because obviously like pretty much immediately after this, Eli mm. goes on a missionary visit he and, leaves town and he leaves town, and then we get like a montage of HW like learning sign language with Mary, Yeah. and then we jump ahead fifteen years. Yeah,
0: well, our, our sort of closing stretch of the movie. Sixteen years later, HW marries Mary, and then he goes to Dan. Daniel, who is now very clearly an alcoholic in an empty mansion?
1: Shooting at his phone, <laughs> just... just
0: dangerously insane. Some real uh, Howard Hughes shit. Yeah, he goes to him and asks to dissolve their partnership because, I mean, throughout the movie, he's called him his partner, and I sort of took that as a joke, but I guess they actually are partners.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I Um, see. see. He probably only owns, like, 10-15% of the business, but I have to assume that, like, I mean, he can afford afford a sign language interpreter to follow him around and be at his wedding. He is earning some money.
0: I do really like that they sign the vows and everything. That's nice. Yeah, he wants to dissolve their partnership so he can move to New Mexico, start his own oil company and uh, Daniel doesn't take it very well. So <laughs> the adult version of HW, as you pointed out to me, yeah. Mr. Wrench from Fargo, Russell Harvard, who is a deaf actor. Uh, this was his feature debut and I think he's very good. And reading up on some of the stuff he's done, I think he uh, is a good actor.
1: Yeah, I mean, like he's from a deaf family, isn't he? Yeah. Like his entire family is, which is good because like, this is the kind of thing that Hollywood would have been like, oh, we'll cast someone who is a deaf, someone who just knows ASL mm-hmm. or whatever. But the fact that they make a point of going like no we're gonna hire a deaf actor and so it, it does lend a kind of like real power to like yeah. oh, this entire com- t- conversation is done through sign and they have the interpreter kind of like in between the two of them and then Daniel kind of turns to HW and goes like I don't oh. need your little dog I want you to tell me what you want to do
0: his treatment of his deafness is fucking disgusting like <laughs> starting with like well you can't speak so you should just flap your hands around and have what's his name talk to me and not looking at him while he's signing it's a more subtle one, but that's incredibly disrespectful. Like, yeah,
1: like, he's not even, he's looking down, he's looking, like, at the interpreter, he's just doing anything not to look at his yeah. son whilst he's trying to, like, talk to him.
0: But, like, the social thing to do is to, like, meet his gaze, and even if you don't understand what he's saying, like, observe his face as you hear the words, you
1: know? Yeah, because that, that you know, communication isn't all just, like, the words that you're saying, it's...
0: And just saying, you can't speak, it's like, I, oh. like, in a literal sense, yes, but he is speaking to you, <laughs> and like, making him speak out loud and everything. Thing and like having that little grin on his face as he's doing it. Just dominating everyone all of his yeah. life. And, um,
1: and that is lent so much power because like uh, you don't want someone faking that kind of like the, the way that someone sounds when they haven't heard yes, the people de- speak for years. The deaf voice
0: uh, is a, yeah you don't want to hear that from someone who isn't deaf quite <laughs> frankly. And he tells him you know this will make you my competitor and he's like no it's not like that. I've, I've enjoyed what I've learned from you and I love you and I want to go and have my own thing and he's just immediately like nope you're my competitor fuck you you're adopted you're a bastard from a basket in the desert Uh, you're you're
1: lower than a bastard yes you
0: are lower than a bastard
1: it's not even that one of your parents you were born out of wedlock it's that your parents are both dead Um, and that makes and that makes you worse
0: and that he used him just as a like sweet face to like fucking sucker all of these people into selling him stuff and like selling the image of he's a family man and and, like it's it's part of his speech earlier like he's like I encourage all my workers to bring their children because family is is strength or what. Whatever, whatever. And then, you know, good for HWs, like, thanking God that there's nothing of Daniel in him. I was like, yeah, good for you, bro. Like, this guy wins a lot, and I think you have walked out of here with your head held high, despite this, like, I mean, quite literally, savage, like,
1: he, does, yeah. he does get to walk out, he kind of, like, does up his coat as he's leaving, and it's like, he comes out of that.
0: With dignity, I think. With while, dignity. While Daniel does his absolute best to rob him of it.
1: Which which is my favourite thing, is, like, because he's deaf, he can't hear yeah. the horrible things he's shouting at him as he's leaving. And I'm sure, like, he does look behind him briefly before he leaves, so I'm sure he can tell that his father's saying something. Cause I, there's the scene earlier on where, like, Mary comes and sits next to him and she says something, but he can't hear it, but you can hear him clicking in his ears. I think it's supposed to imply that, like, he has some hearing.
0: Yeah, but it's just, like, people sound mumbly to him or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I really think it's fucking rich that Daniel accuses someone else of being angry, malicious, and doing backward dealings, quite frankly. <laughs> and then we move into the money scene. Probably the most famous scene from this
1: movie. This is the scene that will... I knew yeah.
0: this line. I hadn't seen the movie. I vaguely knew it. it was about oil barons, and I knew this fucking line. This is the one. Uh, I. It's obviously a better piece of acting, then the oil fire scene you're getting sort of both ends of it there like that is a techni- a piece of technical mastery and this is a piece of acting mastery
1: yeah that, th- this is the scene that will play when probably both Paul Dano and, and Daniel Day-Lewis like pass away <laughs> this, this is this is your in memoriam real yeah. forever
0: so Eli visits Daniel and offers to sell him the bandy land that he has uh, acquired because William Bandy has died and his grandson is whatever is trying to make it in Hollywood I don't know and then Eli's like a radio preacher now um but Daniel first humiliates him makes him renounce his faith reveals he has already drained the land and then beats Eli to death let's talk about this in sections in the broadest sense I love how the power dynamic shifts within this scene because Eli shows up in nicer clothes and he's smiling and smirking at the passed out drunk man
1: on the floor and like he's who's like like, who's like shot up his house and yeah. scared away his son and like
0: and he's like bringing him a drink and everything and he's like negotiating from a position of what he thinks is power and everything and by I the end have, of
1: it I have one piece of land that you never got to have and I'm yeah. willing to give it to you for a lot of money but yeah. what is ultimately kind of a bargain
0: yeah by the end of it he is brought low by the tyrant it's completely flipped around and you know when you see him both going down the stairs before this and when he's like hobbling up the bowling alley like this dude really looks fucking haggard now <laughs> you really get that sense that he has difficulty getting around. Um, He refuses whiskey from Eli in favour of are we going to call this water or moonshine? I, I, don't, I, don't, or? I, don't, I don't know what it is because he drinks it
1: a lot of it very it quickly It can't be
0: vodka. Like it, the hardest man in the world couldn't drink it that casually I don't think.
1: He drinks a clear liquid out of a bottle but It's, it's just either that whole, it's, I don't it's, want it's, it from
0: you you I want my thing <laughs> and he makes Eli say he is a false prophet and that God is a superstition and
1: in the style of like his preaching and so yes. we get this kind of like last sermon scene where where Paul Dano manages to turn on this this kind of like screechy preacher voice uh, and like and again it's, it's the inverse of the scene where like he baptizes Daniel Oder on the movie where like I l- want you louder to
0: louder say it again to the back you know all of this shit and you know he like smirks at him at first he's like well that's, I can't say that, that is a lie and then he reluctantly says it quietly and then yeah he's fully shouting it and he comes to confess that, you know, he's made these bad deals, and he is frustrated that God didn't help him foresee these financial circumstances, and that he has to just wait for meaning, and that he's strayed morally. He doesn't go further than that, but think what you will. And then Daniel, like, claiming that Paul was the chosen brother and the true prophet, because he came and told him about the oil, and like, lying and saying he gave him $10,000 when he gave him 500 Just to be a dick. And also, we we know from
1: the fact that, like, he, he talks about him, like, having a nice little business earning 500, $500 a day or whatever it is and, like, we know from the previous scene that, like, he wouldn't speak in high regard of... No,
0: he doesn't respect smaller businesses than his own.
1: Because he does make a point where he goes like, oh, there are people who I know who own, like, little tracts of land, but, like, the scene with his son is, like, he makes it quite clear, like, I don't want other people doing what I'm doing. I don't like other people doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And then you get the fucking scene.
0: If you have a milkshake and I have a milkshake and I have a straw and my straw reaches a Across the room and starts to drink your milkshake, I drink your milkshake, I drink your milkshake, I drink it up, I am the third revelation, I told you I would eat you. Jesus. Uh, when I heard that <laughs> so line, good. I drink your milkshake. For years I assumed it was some just weird, wanky, artsy metaphor. I didn't realise it was a literal fucking explanation <laughs> of oil draining. That <laughs> <laughs> it's literally just like, yeah, if you have this straw and if this... I own the land
1: next to you, I will <laughs> Yeah, I'll just I will get just a take longer it.
0: pipe and just <laughs> Uh, man. PTA thought he was there's some like dispute about the accuracy of this but he feels he's seen some official testimony by like a senator about and that he was fascinated that he used the word milkshake and he's fucking right it's really bizarre to hear this like climactic dramatic scene from the most critically acclaimed movie of this century maybe just talking about fucking milkshakes and straws
1: yeah. uh, but it just it the, fucking this, works this, this final scene is like held together by how good these two actors are together, uh, even though but how bizarre the kind of, like, dialogue is, and then it falls into just a deeply dark farce, mm. with Eli trying to escape, and Daniel throwing bowling balls at him, and <laughs> And he does
0: a fucking piss poor job of avoiding them, like, that first one is clearly gonna miss him, and he, like, walks into it. <laughs> Originally, they wanted him to beat him to death with a glass and then throw his body at the pins down the, like, the end of the the lane or whatever. And And then (laughs) health
1: and safety came in and said no.
0: I think so, yeah. It's dark, it's violent, it's it's horrible. It's uh, also really funny. It is kind of funny, and Dano's doing the full-on screechy teen voice, you know, like, like, please, no, and everything, and, yeah. yeah. And to end it on, like, his butler rocking up and, like, being Mr. Daniel, and he's like, I'm finished.
1: Yeah, and it's, and it's like, and it's like you don't know whether or not it means he's done with oil, whether or not he's just done, because he's obviously going to go to prison for this, because
0: yeah.
1: he, he didn't get to bury this body in the woods, or... <laughs>
0: or uh, I finally finally bested Eli,
1: <laughs> or... Because, on the one
0: hand, like, Yes, there has been this ongoing Daniel versus Eli power struggle, which I think Daniel has for the most part always been winning. But that's more of a subplot to Daniel's general story. So, like, a part of me doesn't like it as an ending, but like, it's way better than like No Country for Old Men <laughs> for, for me. And it is, you know, to end on such a an emotional high, I think it is is good. And yeah, I hadn't actually even considered that he might be saying like, "Well, I'm off to prison." <laughs> 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 I assume he just murdered the butler if he. Try to tell to be (laughs) honest but it's a powerful powerful performance and you know while i may feel the way i feel about how that performance is achieved and method acting and directors doing this thing where they're like not telling the actors what to expect and I think on some level all of this is not okay but you can't really argue with what a fucking great performance Daniel Day-Lewis gave here I don't know if it's his best ever I probably the best I've seen him be
1: I think this is my favourite Daniel Day-Lewis performance, he, I mean he's good he's always good, I mean like he does shit like nine occasionally and just like why the fuck is Daniel Day-Lewis doing a movie like nine I think he got tricked into doing that movie I'm pretty sure, oh, there is cool. no other reason why he would do that movie. Excellent and I'm sure he went back for his wages
0: and more. I I don't know what to say like uh, obviously this is a first time viewing for me whereas a lot of these I've seen several times and, and so I've been given more time to think critically about them but I'm glad, you know reason for this podcast existing achieved from some level because you you did what many couldn't and made me watch this and I liked it, so
1: I'm glad. yeah So I'm going to share with you now a okay. picture of what D- uh, Dan D. Lewis looks like when not in full method acting
0: <laughs> That's just Henry Rollins <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, dear. It, just... It, It's such a bizarre thing where like this man who is probably the most critically acclaimed actor of, the, of, of our time, looks nothing like any of the roles that he ever takes. <laughs> Really just hangs out in his house, gets high.
0: I bet he's into something really weird that you wouldn't expect. I think like, I
1: think he's like into motorcycles and stuff like that. Apparently, oh, okay. he wants to become. Apparently, wants to become a a um. Oh, what's a shoemaker called? Cobbler. Yeah, he's, he's a cobbler. I think. I think he literally. Oh, cobbles. Well, shoes
0: fucking Corsi. Oh, I'm done. I'm done with this. I take back everything <laughs> good I said about
1: it. Yeah, Daniel Day Lewis was a shoe cobbler for a while. Daniel Day Lewis reportedly tire- retired from acting to become a shoe cobbler.
0: I don't know how that can be so similar to, but completely the opposite of. Of Nick Hoffman being a woodworker for realsies, you know, like that that's charming and quaint. This is wanky. Anyway, it's a great fucking movie. And thank you for putting it on the list so I could finally cross that one off. I started a, I started a letterboxed account yesterday so I could <gasps> I'm sitting there clicking that I button on everything I've seen.
1: I I mean I've I've not done that yet. I didn't I didn't go that far when oh, I okay. made my um, I, just, I just did the stuff that I'd seen recently.
0: Yeah, I made a couple of lists. Anyway, that's for another time. Speaking of another time, next week we will be doing In Bruges, a very different kind of movie, but equally intense in places and funny in others. And I look forward to that one. Uh, go to entertherealworld.com, go to Michael Mountain Soundcloud, like, comment, subscribe, share. We got a fuck ton of stuff on the site these days Kevin Ford's Adventure Time podcast, Flooping the Pig. Has just joined the real world. We have <laughs> what? It's called Flooping the Pig. Uh, I assume that makes sense to you. I haven't seen. No, that.
1: I've seen all of lunchtime. time. Okay, and that, is, that is not a memory I have. Of... Well,
0: there you go. We are doing two episodes of their archive a week. They will have new episodes coming in the new year. They did sixty of them, so most of it, but not all of it. And then obviously, it's coming back to HBO Max, right? Uh, yeah,
1: they're doing four specials, I think, for HBO Max. The Flooping the Pig is a reference to. Season 4, episode 14, Card Wars. Well, there you fucking go. Which is an episode I saw once seven years ago, which might explain why I didn't understand the reference.
0: (laughs) There you go. Well, that is here. Mike Thomas, literally as we were... I was talking to you in this podcast and Mike Thomas pitched me a new podcast. We'll see where that goes. But just keep an eye on the website lots of stuff coming a google doc may need to be created for those who work here to figure out what the hell's going on on our website but that is for me to do and Ben for you to do is to tell us will there be movies I know there will be blood but will there be movies
1: I drink your movies
0: and I did it for so long I got nothing to show Holy sour!